worship, and speak to our hearts and our minds so that you will get the glory in all we say and all we do. Speak to us on each level that we need to be spoken on to press upon our hearts your truth. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap. Welcome everybody on. Um, to all our online people, um, we want to welcome you today. That's our online family. I will say grace and peace to all of you today. Um, hope that you have found much grace, and if you find much grace, you generally tend to find much peace. Um, so we're in today the book of Genesis, chapter 43. Um, I didn't tell the online church, but for those who are online, this is going to be our next Bible study series coming up. Uh, if you're inquisitive about that and what this is and you'd like to follow along with us, uh, let us know. Send us an inbox and we'll be glad to get that to you. It's going to be a couple of uh, lessons before we get to that. We have about seven more chapters in Genesis and then we'll be going over into a new series starting in the book of Hebrews, which I think is going to be awesome. Hebrews, believe it or not, is one of my favorite books. Um, the, I often tell people that the Old Testament concealed is the New Testament revealed, and you really have to understand the Old Testament in order and have a foundation in order to really get the, what he's saying in the New. So you'll do a lot of digging. Amen? Amen. All right. Starting at chapter 43, we're going to start uh, around the first verse as they pull up Genesis uh, chapter 43. Really excited today. Um, today we do have a topic. We're going to call it the do-over. Everybody said the do-over. Do You'll get that in a second. You said the do-over. What, what is the do-over? Well, we're about to find out. We're going to start at Genesis chapter 43. They already have it on the screen. Uh, and for those of you who are watching online, if you're watching on um, uh, willieberry.com or you're watching on uh, wbministries.org or encounter360.org, you can look uh, in the notes section and you'll be able to see those um, and be able to get to all that information and follow the notes with us. Guys ready? Let's read. Uh, now there was a famine was severe in the land and when they had eaten the grain that they had bought, brought from Egypt their father said to them I think they're struggling a little bit to get to the scriptures but I'm going to keep going. Go ahead and buy us a little food. Verse 3. There we go. We'll start together. But Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you some food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For a man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why do you treat me so badly? as to tell the man that you had another brother. They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? We told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go and they may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones, I will be a pledge of safety from my hand and you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have now returned
Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man. A little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double with the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sack. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And have, may he send you back your brother, other brother, and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Let's stop right there. So we are at the point, and we have more chairs. Brandon, if you want to come up to the front, you can. If you want to sit at the tables and move stuff, you're cool. You're cool back there. Um, guys, uh, if you can get in one of these. But at the same time, we're in, we're in Genesis 43. Uh, it has been a problem. You know why? Because the last time we left, um, Simeon was left in Egypt in what? Prison, right? Simeon is left in Egypt. He's left in prison. And the problem imagine that you would imagine if you come home and say your son's left in prison, but we can get him out as we bring the other one back. Most fathers would say, well, I'll go with you. Let me know when we get back. But when we come to the scene of chapter 43, they have been home long enough not to only come home, but to eat up all the provisions that they had, which means it could have been more or at least a year. And now the provisions have run out. He has left his son in prison for a year rather than risk the other. A year or more. He's left him in there for some undisclosed amount of time, but the thought process is he has not been back to get him because he figured he could wait it out. And even if he, he thought he could wait out the family, more than likely I'll wait out the family, we'll have more food, we won't need to go back. But this means that he had decided to give up one son for the what? The other. A bird in the hand. Brother Dave said a bird in the hand is worth more than two in the bush. So I would hate to be Simeon right now and see this is how daddy loves me. He's going to leave me here to die. Uh, and he's eating good and everybody's eating and I'm, I'm stuck. Uh, and, and so this is a bad thing. So question number one says this. Israel delayed his sons uh, back going back to Egypt, abandoning Simeon until they were out of options. Now what you do not know or what we know if we think about it is that Joseph knows exactly how long the famine will last. But Jacob doesn't. Remember the dream? He knows that the famine in the, uh, is going to last how many years? It's going to last seven years. So if Israel had uh, heard what God said to Joseph through the dream uh, and spoke through uh, Pharaoh's dream, brother, he would know that that wasn't going to be a worthwhile strategy. But he didn't hear that. And that's the second part of the question. It says he does not know the famine will last seven years. How important is it to seek God? Uh, for for the bigger picture rather than working on the partial. What do you mean by that? How important is it? I often tell people this, and we talked about this. It's many times not that people make bad decisions, but they make good decisions with bad information. They don't have all the information, so he's weighed the cost and decided to let his son stay there and possibly die. Had he known the famine was going to continue on, maybe... He would have went back because you just saw in the text, his son said, we could have gone and come back to Egypt twice by now. 
but you've let that boy stay there and you will not let him come. That's a question. Proverbs 3, 4, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thy what? Heart. And lean not to what? Your own understanding. He is still acting out of what's happened to him in the past. He's still acting to him out of pain. How many of us have messed up opportunities or messed up things in our life because we treated this like that and they weren't the same thing? We treated this situation like that situation and they weren't the same thing. Well, I'll bring it closer. Anybody who has a child try to treat this child like that child and they are not the same people. It's not going to work. It's not going to be effective. Some children you can talk to. Some children, children you're going to have to close the door on. And you can, you can do the math on that for, for this one. But at the end of the day, that people are different. But what we have to do is make sure that we're leaning on God for perspective. Because we know Israel's talked to God before, right? So God has taught, spoken to Israel. So we can uh, surmise from this that either God's choosing not to speak or Jacob is not seeking what? God. He can't see past his pain. He can't see past his loss. He's still in, gr in grief because he says, if I lose another son, my, I'm going down, my gray hairs are going down to Sheol. I'm going to die. He can't see past his grief. How many of you know that emotions cloud the judgment? Emotions are w the worst time for you to make a decision is when you're emotional. The worst time to deal with the discipline of your children is when you're emotional. Don't spank your kids when you're angry. It's always a bad decision, even if they deserve it. Wait a second. Get yourself together. You know why? Because you're not going to administer justice the right way because your emotions are driving the what? Bus. Your emotions are driving the bus. And so Jacob is making decisions with his emotions. I'll give him some credit. He's lost a son, and now he's lost another one, presumably. But how brutal is it that he's so willing to not face pain, the pain of loss again, that he's willing to sacrifice one son for the other. How many choices and decisions have we avoided in not doing things that we need to do because we were scared of the negative emotion that might come with it? How many people across America know they need to fix their credit, but they won't even open up and look at their credit score? Why? Because then I had to deal with it. How many people got letters from the doctor sitting on the table because you went and took a test from the doctor and you, you're scared to open that letter because if I open that letter, I might have to deal with what's inside. A lot of times we tend to try to divorce ourselves from reality and try to hide and not deal with situations. But the longer we hide, the worse it gets. At some point in time, you're going to have to deal with it. Everybody said deal with it. That's it, deal with it. You got to deal with it. You can't run from things forever. And now we've seen that they've come to the end of their provision, and it's time for them to deal with it. And Judah speaks to his father and says, look, Dad, we've got to do this. We've got to go back. And I like what Judah does because the last time we really see Judah, and he's not very vocal uh, during the times all the brothers are talking in chapter 42. But the last time we remember Judah saying much, he was his, his idea of a solution was to sell his brother rather than kill him. Let's just sell him. We can at least get 20 pieces of silver for him. Remember that? <laughs> that he sold Joseph, who can be considered a type of Christ in this story, um, as for 20 pieces, not 30 pieces, but the cost of a slave, all the same at that time, for 20 pieces of silver. He sold his brother, and all of a sudden, now Judah does something that is different. He says, we need to go lest 
everybody uh, in this situation perished. Is this the same Judas? He seems to be a little different, doesn't he? He seems to have matured a little bit. He seems to have grown up a little bit. How many of you know that you're not the person that you used to be? You may not be the person that you're going to be, but you're not the person that you what? Used to be. And thank God for small steps and for small progress. You may not be speaking in tongues. You may not be running running to church every Sunday. But as long as you stop speaking in four-letter tongues, and that's a, pro- that's a start. <laughs> that, that's, that's a progress. A little bit by what? Little bit. And, and so thank God for any progress, any maturation. We see him saying to this, he says, look, Dad, we could have been to Egypt twice. And so he steps up and he takes what? Responsibility. Everybody say accountability. The thing that makes a man a man is not how tall he is, how broad his shoulders is, how much money he makes. The thing that makes a man a man is his willingness to accept responsibility. Everybody say responsibility. And accountability. Now, these things are devoid sometimes in the church today because many people do not like either responsibility or accountability. People hop from church to church. There's some people who watch online, and we're grateful for our online family. But and, and many people, they hop from ministry to ministry. So as soon as the preacher says something they don't, they don't like, they can flip the channel because they don't want to be accountable for anything. They don't want to be responsible for their lives. They want people to tell them that it's somebody else's fault that they're in the shape that they're in. And then when somebody says, no, it's your fault that you're in the shape you're in, but you can change if you will accept responsibility and be accountable. There's a book I read one time by Navy SEAL, uh, two Navy SEALs called Extreme Ownership. And that's something that, uh, that Christians can learn, that we need to learn that we cannot grow until we learn to take responsibility and accountability. Now here it is, Judah knowing that he sold one son into slavery, but now this Judah says for the good of everybody, I need to have responsibility for him. I will take the responsibility to bring him back myself. That's a, ma- that's a major jump, isn't it? You may not jump straight from here to there. Now it seems in the book that it seems like that because we're reading uh, week by week, but this has been a 20 year process. It's been 20 years, over 20 years now, um, because it's 20 years when they finally see Joseph again, that this has happened. So this is a thought. How long will it be before the people of God, the men of God, the women of God have a culture of responsibility? I am responsible for the community that's around me. It's one thing to look at the news and say how bad the world is, but will you be responsible for what he's giving you as stewards? What are you doing to change it? Are you accountable to change it? It's easy to say, hey, here's the problem. But when I first came here, I remember uh, one time uh, I was talking to this Pat, and I said, you know what? This has been a very easy trick as a pastor because I don't know anybody else that's ever come to me and complained yet. She said that's because you told us not to. I said, what do you mean? You said, you, said, uh, you, you told us that if you don't have a solution, don't come to you with a problem. I said, I sure did, didn't I? <laughs> because you know what that does? It creates an atmosphere of accountability and responsibility. It's very easy to kill an organization or an organism being a church if everybody sees everything and complains about it and they have time to 
see it and complain about it because they're not busy being a solution. They're busy pointing to the what? Problem. Everybody said, be a solution. Be a solution. That's, that's what God has called us to do. Be a solution. You would get higher pay at work if you would learn to solve bigger problems. The bigger the problem, the bigger the thing that you can solve, the more pay you get. Why? Because I can pay anybody to do a, a, to cook a hamburger in the back, especially when the machines are cooking themselves. I can't pay everybody to build a house for me. The higher the skill, the higher the pay. If you want to be a blessing to somebody, be a solution and not a problem. We'll go on from there. Is that helping anybody right there? Judah's willing to sacrifice. Question two says himself for his brother. We'll see that again in a second. What deep spiritual significance do we see pertaining to his lineage or to the children that come after him? And we talked about what this says about his maturity. Judah is willing to sacrifice himself or, or to step up and hold accountability for his brother. So we're going to go ahead and go down to verse 15. And uh, we're going to read on down, and we're going to go into the next thing. So you guys ready to read with me? Let's read what does it say. So the men took this present, and they took the double money with them. And Benjamin, they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men who are to dine with me at noon. Wow. The men did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid of, <laughs> because they were brought to Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that we may assault us and fall on upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack and our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us and we have and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. He replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid for God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought them, brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water and they had washed their feet. And when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. For they had heard that they should eat bread there. Wait a minute. Now I want you to see the reverse of this. The last time Joseph saw them at a dinner was when he was in a pit thinking he was about to get murdered. And they listened to him screaming and crying. And they ate and laughed and joked about it. Now all of a sudden, they don't know it's Joseph. But they've been brought in to a feast. And they're thinking... The only reason this man could be bringing us in here is to kill us because we deserve it. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they feel. I'm going to question four. We're coming back to question three. I want you to look at that because I wrote this verse uh, 43 and 18 says this. Uh, this is what I wrote for it. The brother's guilt and condemnation 
expected the worst. However, Joseph shows grace and mercy. How did this re uh, mirror our relationship with Christ? How does this mirror our relationship with Jesus? When we come to Christ, do we come happy or do we most times come condemned? We come condemned, don't we? We're, we're condemned. We, we come with the death sentence on us. We, we, we always forget John 3.17. We love John 3.16. We love for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then we just stop reading <laughs> because we don't want to go to John 3.17. Can you guys in the back pull up John chapter 3 verse 17? I want us to read this together. John chapter 3, verse 17. I didn't put that uh, on, uh, on the notes for them to get, but if they can pull it up. John chapter 3, verse 17. If they can pull it up, there, there it is. Let's read it together. What does it say? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved for him. Now go to verse 18. Verse 18. It says this. What does it say? Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Wow. That means you, you're born with a death sentence on your head. You're born in sin. David said, in iniquity was I born and in sin was I shapen. That we're not born good, we're born what? Bad. We're born bad. And so that's why God didn't come into the world. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world because he did not have to he did not have to pronounce a death sentence on people who were dead already. We were already dead in our sins and what? Trespasses. We were already under condemnation. And that's why some people come, and when you come to Jesus, your heart is heavy sometimes because you realize that I'm a sinner. And you realize that I've sinned and I've fallen short of the glory of God. But how does that mirror our re relationship with Christ? Although they do deserve to die for what they did. Although they do deserve uh, punishment and retribution that will be uh, had at the hands of Joseph. Joseph picked the complete polar opposite. And I want you to see what he did. Everybody say he washed their feet. <laughs> when they wash your feet in those cultures, the feet were the dirtiest, nastiest thing in the world. They didn't have public toilets in the day, so guess where they used the restrooms? On the roads. There was no public sanitation to clean up after the donkeys and the horses. Guess where they, they, they had those things happen? On the roads. Your feet in those days were the dirtiest, nastiest, stinkiest thing in the world. But before they ate, he washed their feet. He, everybody said he cleaned them up. They came in with condemnation on them. But then he sat them in there, and before he fed them, he cleaned them up. Though my sins be as scarlet, you will make them white as snow. Uh, we came into this world under condemnation, but those that will believe on the name of Jesus Christ, thank God he's still washing feet today. Thank God he's still cleaning us up today. Thank God that he looks beyond my faults, as they said when I was young, and sees our needs. And we see a type of Christ in Joseph that he's finding somebody who is already guilty, and he's treating them as if they are not guilty. 
washed them up. Then he says, kill an animal to eat with them. He said this, ah, his fellowship. He's bringing them in for fellowship. Isn't it wonderful that although we were born under condemnation, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And because we have believed on the name of his son, not through anything that we have done, it is by grace through faith that you are saved. It is the gift of God, not through works, lest any man should boast. You can't be good enough to save yourself. But when you come to Jesus, his blood washes you white as snow. And not only he could have just left it at that and said, go about your business, but then he brings you in as sons and daughters. He fellowships with you. He puts you at the table to eat. He prepares a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. How powerful a thought is that? That God could just say, I saved you, now go about your business. I did something nice for you, but not only does he save us, but he fellowship. Oh, he walks with me, and he talks with me, that he gives me an opportunity that I don't have. You don't have to come to me as a priest to pray for you. There was a time when there was a veil with the Shekinah glory and, and, and the Ark of the Covenant behind it, and you needed the, the, a man to go and sprinkle blood on the altar of the horns. You're going to see that in Hebrews and things like that to just be a temporary cover for the sin. It was said that the veil of the temple was so thick and so wide that two teams of oxen couldn't pull it apart. But when Jesus died on that cross, it said that from the top to the bottom, from heaven to earth, that veil ripped in two. What is he saying? I'm granting you access. Everybody say access granted. Thank God that he's granting us access. That no matter what I'm going through, if you can't get pastor on the phone, if pastor can't see the message or, or, or pastor misses his text message because he got a thousand of them, you can say, you know what? When I was young, they used to say, Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you want. AT&T might be down. DTE might be down. But I know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He that watches over Israel slumbers not nor sleeps. That you can lay down at the side of your bed. And Jesus can hear your prayer. Just have a little talk with Jesus. And tell him all about my troubles. He'll hear my fainted cries. And he'll answer by and by. He may not answer the way you want. He may not answer in the time frame that you want, but I promise you this, he will answer. He takes them in, he washes their feet, and then he prepares a meal for them. Hallelujah. His loving kindness to those people who tried to kill him. He's going to test them. Let's read what Psalm chapter 31, verse 2 through 4 says. I'm going to read it. It's, you don't have to put it on the screen. I put it in a different version. I think I put it in the NLT or uh, the NIV, rather. It says this. Let's read it together. It's on your papers. It says, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you shall be built, O virgin Israel, and again you shall adorn your tambourines and shall go forth in the, merry, in the dance of the merrymakers. I like the old one, the, the way some people remember it. He says, with loving kindness have I drawn you. 
Isn't it so wonderful? That's the beauty of the gospel, that we're guilty. We can't, we can't do anything for ourselves, but with loving kindness, God has drawn us and said that you don't have to stay in the state that you're in. Justice demands, everybody said justice demands a verdict. But the judge determines the sentence. The judge determines if he's going to give you the full sentence, if he's going to commute the sentence. Justice demands a verdict. The wages of sin is what? Death. Thank God that the judge has commuted my sentence. Remember, he commuted your sentence. Liz? Let's see what happens. Verse 20, 26. Again, 43 and 26. We're going to read to the end and cover these last ones. We might finish a little early today. What does it say? When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them, and they bowed down to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? Wait a minute, I need to stop there. Thank you, Holy Ghost. You know, I don't know if you've ever faced this as a parent, but sometimes your children are rebellious and they get stiff-necked. But have you ever had a chance before you could even correct your children? They come in and they think you're going to drop the boom on them. And before you even open up your mouth, they're, they're quivering and then you say, how you doing? You hungry? You okay? That's what it's like when we come back to Jesus. We're waiting for Jesus to drop the boom on us and tell us how dirty and ugly and nasty we are and what we've done. He knows all that stuff, but he's just like the father in Luke 15 with the lost son. When the lost son came back, the father had every right to say, you can't stay here. You took my money and said you wish I was dead. You knew you couldn't get inheritance. Till I die, you squandered all my money. But when he saw the son running back to him in pity, the father, rich shame, pulled up his robe, was, was shameful in those days, and went running back to the son. Isn't it wonderful that if we'll come to Jesus with a contrite heart, we're expecting harsh treatment and harsh judgment, and we, and we see a loving father saying, how you doing? I've been waiting on But Jesus, you don't know what I've done. You don't know all the places I've been. Yes, I do. And I'm glad because if you're here with me, that means you're not in that place anymore. I'm glad to see you. Oh, what a loving story. When we come expecting vengeance and we meet mercy and grace, they came expecting the worst, and they are sitting at the table of the most second most powerful person in Egypt. Thank you, Holy Thank you, Jesus. The seasoned saints of my, my day, they would say, I came to Jesus as I was. I was weary, wounded, and sad, but I found in him a resting place, and he has made me Aren't you glad that when you come back to Jesus, or even if it's for your first time, 
He doesn't meet you with all the stuff that you did wrong. But he, he grabs you. And he says, how you doing? And it's foreign to you because you're like, I know you know what I did. Because I know what I did. I wouldn't like me. I wouldn't forgive me. I wouldn't commute my sentence. As a matter of fact, I would, I would make sure that I, I paid the ultimate price. And he looks at you and says, well, thank God I'm not you. I'm not like me. Oh, but for the mercy of God. Oh, but for the sweet grace and the mercy of the presence of God that will take us when we're in the wrong. And even in the wrong that they did, God is about to use this situation that they called to bless them. He's taken their mess and sent Joseph to Egypt, and he's going to use Joseph and use their e the evil mistakes that they made to preserve them. Don't you know some of the things you did when you were too mean and nasty to apologize? God used some of that stuff to come around, and he could have used it to kill you, but his mercy used it to bless you. Somebody's listening to me right now. They might be locked up, and you might look at being locked up as a curse, but being locked up is actually a blessing. God is using that to bless you and get you to where you need to be so you can come to yourself. <coughs> Sometimes the situations that we create for ourselves, God's mercy will use those things. And even in those, he'll bring provision for you. Verse 20, when Joseph came home, they brought him to the house to present him with these gifts. We're going to go down to verse 28. Let's read that. Verse 28, what does it say? They said, your servant, our father, is well. He's still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves, just like the dream said. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin and his mother's son and said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? Be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother. And he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. This is a very emotional scene. Then he washed his face and he came out. And controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself. And them by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. Uh, there were big there were big schisms in the Egyptian Egyptian culture at that time. If you do a study, Herodotus uh, says that uh, it, the Egyptian priests themselves would not even sometimes drink. Uh, imported wines and things like that because the Egyptians thought that they were from the gods. So they wouldn't eat with Hebrews or mixed breeds or cross breeds and there, there was also social status so people wouldn't be sitting with Joseph because they weren't on his socio-political status. So there's separation so if you're asking why they're sitting at different tables because they won't eat with Jews. And Joseph was eating by himself and the verse 33 says this and they sat before him the firstborn according to to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth, and the men looked at one another in amazement. You know why they're amazed? How did he know? What are the chances that he could pick all 11 brothers and set them out in order? 
she's giving them a little taste and a little foreshadow. Sometimes God will do that for us when we first bring him here. Remember when you first get saved and, and, and God gives you a huge boost of faith and he'll, he'll do big things for you because your faith is small. Remember the first time you ever gave a tithe and you got a big blessing, but you kept tithing and that blessing wasn't as big no more. And when you're young, God will do stuff like that for your faith to help build your faith. And as you get older, he said, you're old enough now. You don't, you don't need that stuff anymore. You got to trust me. And, and so he's, he's doing some things that make them amazed. It says portions were taken from them, from Joseph's table. Now I want you to see this. Verse 34, what does it say? Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portions were five times as much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. Benjamin's are five times as much. Can anybody guess why Joseph did this? Uh, yeah. Uh, he comes through the lineage of Judah, but but there's a very practical reason Joseph is doing this, isn't it? Because the last time a son of Rachel got favor, as Brother David said, they threw him in the pit. And before he reveals himself to who he really is, he wants to see have they changed. I'm gonna grant favor. Because his son of Rachel was his youngest. That's why, I believe personally, that's why he wanted them to go back and get Benjamin in the first place. Let's see if Benjamin can make the trip. Let's see, can you take care of him? Let's see, has your character changed? This is something, I didn't come up with this. Accountability. Yeah, accountability and responsibility. I believe this is Dr. Henry Cloud. He says that if you've been in a bad situation or bad marriage, never go back to that situation unless the thing that caused you to leave in the first place has changed. Don't go back hoping you can change that person. You don't go back until you prove that that person has changed. Although Joseph is doing little things to reveal to them, he's seeing who they are before he reveals who he what? Is. Sometimes God may move you up and people may have hurt you at this level of life and God moves you to this level of life and then he lets you go back to the old neighborhood or the hood but you just can't reveal to everybody what God has done for you. Sometimes you got to wait and see who they are because if they couldn't handle you here they might not be able to handle you there. So he's testing their character to see I wonder when you treat him. I, I, I can see him saying eat up boy eat all you want. I got more, more for you if you need it. And the whole time he's looking at them, seeing how they respond. Because the first time this happened, they flunked the test. Pastor, why did you call this the do-over? Because sometimes when you flunk a test, God will make you do it over. They flunked the first test. They were hateful. This time, they have to redo the test. Number five says Joseph tested his brothers to see how they reacted to the favor placed on Benjamin. He gave him five times more. And I want to ask us this question. How do we react to others' blessings? How we react to others' blessings shows the wealth or poverty of our heart. How do you act when you see somebody win the lottery? How do you act when you see somebody get a job and it makes five or six times more than you make? How do you react when you see somebody get a house 
that can fix your house in a six time. Remember, he gave him five times more. How do you react when God blesses somebody else? That'll really tell us about where our maturity is. When somebody gets a brand new car, do you say, I'm so happy for you and say, I'm so sick of hearing about the blessings that happen. I wish they would stay away. I get so sick of hearing about all the stuff God doing in their life. I don't even like my job. And here you are, you getting a new promotion. I don't, I don't even like my house. And here you are getting a bigger house. You should just be happy with the house you got. You should not have to want all that stuff. Well, if God's going to bless you with them, let them get it. God is able to do it as his to give. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. What, Like he said, he, ch he checked Peter, didn't he? He checked Peter this time because he told Peter, he said, when you get old, Peter, Jesus told it to Peter, you're going to go places where people don't want you to go. And you're going you gonna to be carried around in chains. It's not going to be good for you in the end, Peter. You're going to have to suffer. And Peter knew that God loved John more because he, he called himself a disciple that Jesus loved. And he looked at John and said, what about him then? And he says, if I leave him and shall return, what business is that of yours? Everybody said, none of your business. Now, I'm not talking about uh, when I make that statement because it's important that we know that there are people who may take advantage of the gospel and things like that, but there are more bad pastors. Somebody might need to bring me a mic. I think this one's going out. But there are more good pastors than there are with bad pastors. But how many times have we seen a pastor drive up in a nice car to a church and when offering time came? How many times have we seen somebody else blessed, and all of a sudden when it was time to show our generosity, our pockets kind of down? You've seen people do that, haven't you? We've seen jealousy reign in the heart, and what he's willing to say is, you destroyed my life here, or you tried to. I can't let you back into my life unless I know that you are not the same people that threw me in that pit. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to read that question all together. It says, how we react to others' blessings shows the wealth or poverty of our hearts. And then I ask the question. Thank you, Liz. What's in your wallet? How do we act when other people get blessed? How do we act when we've been praying for a healing and God doesn't heal us, but he heals this person? They come up with a testimony that, that they got a healing and we in more need than they do. How do we respond? God does things in his own time. That's the sovereignty of God. Don't be mad at the people. God, the Lord is in the heavens. He does whatever he what? He pleases. He knows more than you do. He sees more than you do. And so once he's done this, I wrote this last question, and then we're going back up to the third question. Those who fail the test, repeat the grade. What test have you failed in your life? Can anybody remember any tests in their life they failed? Brother Dave said most of them. <laughs> Victor pointed like that's what he said. What test in your life have you failed? But here's the most important question. Life is only 10% of what happens to you. It's 90% of how you respond. The Bible says that a righteous man falls seven times, but he what? He gets back up again. You don't get to live a mistake-free life. The difference between those who persevere and those don't is that they get back what? Up. 
So I asked you a question. Although they failed this test, they're getting a chance to take it over, and we'll see it next week. But how will you, number one, recognize when that test comes over? Because sometimes, let's be honest, we go through the same old thing three or four times, many times, before we finally realize this is a test. Maybe I should respond differently. Repeat after me. If I always do what I've always been doing, I will always get what I've always been getting. If you want different, do different. Yeah, she, she's honest. She said, I'm learning that in my older age. If you want different, do different. Don't worry about what you didn't do. You can't cry over spilt milk. Drink the milk you had. I can go ahead and say it the way I want it. I hope an English teacher's not listening. Drink the milk you got. <laughs> but if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. The only way to change that is to break the cycle, which means that if I'm going to get what God wants me to get or have what God wants me to have, in some instances of my life, I'm going to have to change who I am. I'm going to have to work on my character. Everybody say character matters. They're about to walk into the biggest blessing of their life. They're going to walk off and the happy lay ever after. But they have another test first, and character matters. What do you think would happen if he gave Benjamin that food <laughs> and they started grumbling towards Benjamin? Do you think it would end well for them? But this time, they're taking the test again. Somebody said, thank God for the do-over. I want to go back to Judah, and I want to end, end it on this. Judah knows that they have to make this trip. They wouldn't have been able to make the trip had Judah not convinced his father to go. So question three says this. Judah realizes that everyone is lost if the trip is not made. How glad are we that his descendants decided the same thing? Somebody said, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Because who is Judah's descendants? Jesus. He looked at his father and said, I know you're missing Benjamin. I know you're missing your son. But if we don't make this sacrifice, then everybody dies. Sound familiar? Let's pull it up in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 through 7. I got Bible for it. I'm going to read it in the NIV version. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 through 7. It's on, on your papers. You can read it with me. What does it say? Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. In burnt, in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you took no delight. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I will come to do your will. Mm. What he's essentially saying is, you, you set up those sacrifices and burnt offerings for a temporary thing. But that's not what you really wanted. You put them in the place of destroying them. Like you did with the flood. But you need a sacrifice to atone for the sin. So a body you prepared for me. What is he saying? The father loves me. But if I don't go. Everybody will perish. If it's possible. Let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, 
not my will, but thy will be done. Aren't you so glad that Judah's descendants decided the same thing? Aren't you just so glad that instead of sitting where he was, as comfortable as he was? See, Judah could have said, well, we'll just starve here, or maybe I can fend for myself. I might be okay. Some other people may die. I know Simeon's going to die in prison, but he decided for the greater good of everybody to sacrifice. And that goes right back to those two different words. Everybody said responsibility, responsibility. and accountability. Everybody say, I am responsible for my life. I am responsible for my choices. If you're married, say, I am responsible for my marriage. If, you, if, you, if you're a human and you have to interact with people, say, I am responsible for my relationships. Now, lastly, somebody say, I am responsible for my walk with God. And I am responsible for my church. not the pastor that turns the lights on. It's not just the pastor's giving, but it's all of us being equally responsible and accountable. This is the church of God that he's given us to steward. Which means that in the church, if something needs to be done, even before the pastor asks, if you have the capability to do it and you see it, Step up and take the what? Responsibility. If you see somebody that needs prayer or see somebody that, that you know could lend a helping hand, you don't have to walk over to them. You don't have to bother them, but you could lift up your hand. You ain't have to lift up your hand. God's prayer works, works, works without that. He doesn't need your antenna. I know we do this in Christendom. It makes us feel good, but he doesn't need an antenna. You can stay right there and pray for God, and he'll heal us. If you don't hear anything else tonight, here I am responsible and I am accountable. Your life will never change until you are responsible and accountable. Which means that you have to take responsibility for what you do. And when you don't do right, you have to be what? Accountable. And I hold you accountable. I do it in an honest way, an honest and a direct but a loving way. When I do it, Pastor Ernie. I, I do it. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Focus on those. That's what's hurting our generation. I'm a millennial. And not all the millennials, as people say, are out there crazy and things like that. But there are some good millennials in the millennial generation. Um, there are some outliers to every statistic. But it's fair to say that a lot of us have not stepped up. You, if you're 26 and you're in your mama's basement, get out your mama's basement. Get your own health insurance. Get your own job. Get your own family. Get some real responsibility under your belt. But I'm, I'm, I'm laden with student loans. So is everybody else who has a college degree. Be responsible. And you're accountable. Ooh, we don't like that. We don't like those words. Those words... Do those words make you, anybody do those words really make you feel good? They make you feel good? Good. 
Anybody else? I don't see any other hands. I've got a few hands. Most of us, honestly, we really don't, don't like that. I like accountability. You know why? I need it. It does. It does. I've, I've got a friend um, that I was mentoring, and I was helping him with some things. And one thing I told him is, you got to get up, get out of the gym, get in the gym. It's going to change your life. You got to get in the gym. I got him to go in the gym. I was already going to the gym. And then I got lazy, and one day I got a phone call. Have you made it to the gym yet? <laughs> <laughs> Accountability. But nobody will know. If I didn't go, guess what's going to happen the next day? You been to the gym? Accountability. We need that in the body of Christ. That's a part of discipleship. We need somebody that can lovingly speak into our life and say, hey, you been to church lately? You need community. If you're not in church, you need it. How's your prayer life? How's your study life? Are you only studying on Wednesdays? You need more than that. Not that we're trying to control your life, but we're trying to help you be strong. And when you are strengthened, you can strengthen your what? You can strengthen your brother. Any questions, any comments? Anybody? Got anything? It does. It helps build character. It's, it's the building blocks of character. That's it. Character matters. Responsibility and accountability. It's okay to admit that you're wrong. It's okay to accept discipline from people and things because those build character. Count it, uh, count it all joy. When you fall into all sorts of diverse what? Temptations because that work is patience and patience work at every good work. Guess what? That changes. Your character is what matters, not your money. He, he knew their character, but Joseph needed to see it. Joseph needed to see it, and they needed to see it. Sometimes you need to see you change. Sometimes you need somebody to cut you off in traffic. So you can say, when praise the Lord comes out your mouth, you can say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes you need to be encouraged to know. Every now and then, and you might get an anonymous text from me. Some of my guys know that well. I appreciate you. I'm thankful for what you're doing. What I'm saying is I'm watching you. Good job. I appreciate what you're doing. That's, that's accountability. In other words, somebody's watching you, and, I, and we don't have to crack the whip. I can encourage you for the good things I see you doing, which will encourage you to do what? More. Accountability. That's it, Sister Ward. Character. Character matters more than anything in the world. And all of us, if we're honest, have character flaws. That's what sanctification is for. That we, are, we may be saved from sin, but we got to be saved from ourselves sometimes. And some things, that's why the word says, and I'm going to end on this, it says lay aside what? Every weight and sin that so easily besets us. Sometimes it's not necessarily sin. It's just a character flaw. We got any impatient people in the building that are angry in traffic or, or short with your children or, or short with your spouse? You got a short fuse and you know you got a short fuse? That's a character issue. We need to work on that. Anybody that lies here, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> tell, tell what you call little white lies. I don't care if they little white lies or tall orange lies. They still lies. If you shave the truth, they're lies. Those are character what? Issues. 
<laughs> Somebody said, I don't lie much. <laughs> Anybody have problems with getting to work on time or doing what you said you were going to do? Or if you got 40 hours to work, working the whole 40 hours, those are character issues. Or keeping promises that you said you would do. No, Pastor, I keep my promises. Let me see your credit score. Ooh. <laughs> if you can't say amen, say out. Say out. Somebody said, I got to go. <laughs> but character, let us all work on our character. And as we pray today, I'm going to be praying that our character becomes what God wants, uh, wants it to become. Because none of us are perfect and all of us need growth. And I know a God who's up for the task. All he wants you to do is be willing to submit yourself to him. Has this helped anybody tonight? It's helped me. Clap your hands and give God a hand clap of praise as we get ready to pray and leave. I'm going to pray God's blessing and covering over you. Um, God, help us with our character. Help us with our life. Uh, help us to recognize the mistakes that we've made in life and have responsibility and accountability. Not to make excuses for our wrongdoings, but to accept them head on and to be the men and women of God that you're calling us to be. And help us not to walk in condemnation. But help us to own the things that we have. Thank you, Lord. Somebody say own it. Help us to own the things uh, that, that we've done, God. And, and then receive your grace and mercy for them. And walk through them the way in the path that you'd have us to walk through them. Give us the strength to walk through those things, God. In the, in the name of Jesus. And thank you for your grace and your blessings and your mercy. That you definitely don't give us what we deserve. Uh, we thank you for that. I cover, you, I cover your people with your, with your blessing, your blessing the city, blessing the field when they come and when they go. And that everywhere the sole of their foot shall try shall be blessed in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great night.